When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. You're listening to The Bureau with Frank Figluzzi. I'm former FBI Assistant Director Frank Figluzzi. Join me on a journey deep inside the world's premier law enforcement agency to decode the mysteries and challenges of today's FBI. The threats facing America are as real as the men and women who battle to protect us. In this first-of-a-kind podcast, we'll sit down with active-duty FBI personnel who reveal their mission, their cases, and their lives. Let's go inside the Bureau with Frank Figluzzi. It could be a stranded motorist, a hitchhiker, a prostitute. The Highway Serial Killing Initiative. M.O. His modus operandi. The more you learn about the victim, the more you might learn about how the perpetrator came to be attracted to them, target them, come across them. It's about the victim. Wanted people missing people. They didn't want to have sex with them. They just wanted to kill someone. Today's guest, Christine DePoister of Behavioral Analysis Unit 4 of the FBI. We're going to learn a lot today about the inner workings of behavioral analysis, the Violent Crime Apprehension Program, and the VICAP National Crime Database. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here, Frank. Christine, part of the mission of of our podcast is to kind of humanize the FBI personnel, the men and women who come to work every day and who the public kind of only perceives through media portrayals, um, often portrayed as almost machine-like in their in their execution of mission um, and kind of these, these cold, you know, faceless uh, people who just get reported on the front page of the paper or the lead story in the news. But tell us a little bit about your journey to the FBI and in the FBI. Where do you come from and how did you get interested in the Bureau and how long have you been working at FBI? 
So I came to the FBI from Texas, a small town in East Texas. I actually got married and traveled the world a little bit, was stationed overseas, and worked for the Department of State. And that's where I started getting involved in homeland security and criminal investigations. I've been with the FBI for 17 years. I never imagined myself working on these types of violations. However, it is something that is never a dull moment in our lives. We see some of the worst of the worst cases, and we have had to learn over time how to compartmentalize this information and be able to go on with our daily lives. It's fascinating work. It's it's tough work, but the tangible successes are pretty awesome when they happen. Tell us about the work that you specifically come to the office every day to work on, how it differs from the rest of Behavioral Analysis Unit 4, and, and how many folks are designated to work on the projects and initiatives that you're involved in? Well, my work is not any different than any of the other analysts in the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. Um, my work is pretty much the same as theirs. It's just that I am considered the team lead on an initiative that we've set up to focus on specific types of cases that come into the BICAP National Crime Database. So when I come in in the mornings, we all have regions that we're assigned because our unit is um, small. So we have certain states that we work with. We work with local, state, federal, and tribal agencies. Uh, we partner with them as far as uh, giving them analytical support on their investigations that meet our BICAP criteria. Outside of that, uh, with this special initiative, which is called the Highway Serial Killings Initiative, we're looking at specific cases that are contained in that BICAP national database that have a nexus to the highway. The FBI is urging the public to come forward with information about two truck drivers accused of kidnapping women and holding them for ransom. Authorities say Brian Summerson and Pierre Washington have both been arrested, but now they're looking for potential victims. The agency says some of their routes went right through Georgia. The FBI is asking anyone with information and, or anyone who believes they were a victim to come forward. All right, so you've already got my attention with something that I was not fully aware of, the Highway Serial Killing Initiative. Are you telling us today that there are unsolved, potentially connected serial killings that involve some proximity to highways and that might involve common offenders? Yes, we can say that we've got some unsolved series out there that may link back to uh, individuals who travel the highways. All right, let's let's dig into the weeds on this. Our listeners are going to want to hear about not only these crimes, but how you go about attempting to connect the dots and solve these crimes. So how long has the Highway Serial Killing Initiative been underway? Um, about how many crimes are you looking at? And then what are the what are the commonalities you search for to be able to have you say that these may be connected? So the initiative, um, actually, we were aware of the initiative all the way back to 1993 when individuals started coming up along a highway. 9-11 happened and that 
project kind of got set aside and we started focusing on terrorism. That's not to say that we forgot about those types of violations. It's just that the focus was redirected. It regained interest with the analyst within BICAP in 2003. Uh, It really took off in 2004 when we identified another series working with our state partners when a series of cases came up along an interstate system, specifically it's the I-40 corridor. So we're looking at these cases as they come in and wanting to know what are we looking at? Um, We've got victims who are being recovered along our major interstate systems and the state highways. We were able to identify the commonalities based on the dump site of the body, the victims, uh, the victimology, the characteristics surrounding what was going on with that victim and how they were recovered, the types of weapons, the types of bindings. So that's what we started looking at with this initiative. Now we needed to be able to say, okay, are we looking at one offender? Are we looking at multiple offenders? And what type of offenders are we looking at? Are these individuals who specifically travel the highways? Are they individuals who are from that particular area, and it just seems that they went to the highway and that was where they decided to leave a body or possibly decided that as they're passing through that this was a great spot to leave someone because it's in the dark of night and there's no one around. So uh, a lot to unpack here. You know, even if we just go back to 2003, 2004, you mentioned it, it might predate that. Um, to the mid-1990s, how many cases are we talking about that are included in in the Highway Serial Killing Initiative? As far as the numbers that are included into the initiative, at best, we can tell you what VICAP is aware of. We know that there are additional cases out there that have not been submitted to us by local, state, and federal agencies. So we can't really speak to statistics. We can tell you what we are looking at right now with the participating agencies. And we're looking at, in the BICAP National Database, over 850 cases. Now, not all of those cases are linked to the same individual. Some of those are solved, but a lot of them are still unsolved. Let's make a plea here to anyone connected to local county, state law enforcement that's listening to make an effort to enter cases with proximity to highways um, into the database. What steps do you take, uh, Christine, to put the word out to the law enforcement community that you need them to help you help them? So when we're looking at trying to get this information out to our partners in law enforcement, we look for platforms much like this, where we can speak to a large audience. We hold conferences, which are the Highway Serial Killings Initiative Conference, and we've partnered with the Behavioral Analysis Conference. So we offer four days of free training to our law enforcement agencies to get them familiar with these types of violations that we're looking at. There's a lot of cases out there. We read about them in the article in the newspaper. We read about them on inlets messages. We reach out to agencies when we are notified and we offer our assistance at no cost to them. We know that the agencies have minimal staffing. There are a lot of issues that they face as far as getting involved with us. 
But we do, as the analysts, we do whatever we can to get them to participate with us and to be able to tap into the resources that we have available to them. Christine, what um, what gets at a bare minimum, what qualifies for entry into the highway serial killing initiative? What is it? Is it mere proximity to a, a highway, a roadway? Tell, tell me where you start um, thinking about a case in terms of this initiative. So the kinds of cases that we are taking into the initiative, we're focusing on victims that were recovered along the major highways, whether it's a truck stop, rest stop, or a culvert. It could be stranded motorists, a hitchhiker, a prostitute who are working those areas. And if law enforcement has identified a long-haul truck driver for one of these cases, those are included into this because those are the types of individuals that cross our U.S states at a given moment. They can be in Virginia in, uh, this morning and then be down in Texas by the afternoon. Um, so we're looking at those types of cases that come in. We're not looking for just the unsolved. We're also looking for your solved cases because if an agency has identified an individual who's responsible for something that has some really unusual behavior and Law enforcement believes that this is not his only crime, that he may have other victims out there. We want those cases as well because we're able to look at the various components of that case and take a look and compare those against other cases that we have in the system. Now, we develop timelines on these individuals, and those timelines can help us put an individual in a certain location on a certain day at a given time. So that's what we're looking for to come into our national system. Yeah, a couple of good points there. One, the transient nature of the highways uh, just themselves uh, lends itself to far more challenging crime solution. Someone, as you said, could be in another state in in several different states in in a matter of of hours or even minutes crossing borders. So it 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 challenges law enforcement because they're exploiting the, the perpetrators, exploiting the fact that different jurisdictions are going to have to look at different crimes and may not be connecting the dots. That's where that's where your folks and your team come in. Have, let me ask you this. Have you, have you ever reached out to uh, the trucking community or has have other law enforcement agencies reached out to the trucking community to help solve some of these crimes or to help develop source information that might point to uh, an offender? So reaching out to the resources that we have, one of the resources is the trucking industry. We have um, a point of contact that we are able to send out some of our publicly released VICAP alerts. Now, a VICAP alert is a bulletin that we've put together on seeking information or on a missing individual and the circumstances under which that individual went missing or it could be unidentified remains. So if it's something that we can release to the public, we've got a point of contact with someone who can send that out nationwide to all of the truck stops that are out there. We also partner with some of the other organizations that are dealing with the highways. I just had the opportunity to speak with the Domestic Highway Enforcement, and that was a wonderful platform to get this information out there to law enforcement that's not aware that this is there. There's a lot of challenges that go with this. As you said, these long-haul truck drivers are miles away before a body can be recovered. And at times, what's left behind? A body. 
There's no evidence. There's no witnesses, because if they do it in the dark of night where there's no traffic, it's it's a challenge for law enforcement. So we have to tap into all of the the individuals who are dealing with this type of of crime and the resources that can provide us with what we need to put the pieces of the puzzle together. As you look at the solved cases in this initiative, what kind of information have you gleaned? What what makes these crimes happen? What makes an offender tick? Are there certain commonalities among the victims in the solved cases and or among the perpetrators? So some of the similarities that we're seeing in the cases that are part of this initiative are their high-risk lifestyle. We're looking at a lot of prostitutes, but we're also looking at those victims who were just random. We've got individuals who were identified based on their MO because they wanted to kill someone. They didn't want to have sex with them. They just wanted to kill someone. So they went through the neighborhoods looking for unlocked doors or windows. The other type of the offender that we're looking for wanted to control life and death. They wanted to sexually assault them. They wanted to mutilate the bodies. They wanted to do whatever they could with that individual because they are controlling the outcome of what's going on. They feel power. Now, we as the analysts aren't looking at why the individual did it. We partner with our profilers. They're the ones that look at why this individual did it. We're looking at where else did he do it? So we have a collaboration when we're working on these types of cases with the Behavioral Analysis Unit profilers. Well, let's talk about that partnership with profilers. When do you when do you bring in a an FBI profiler into the initiative and what do they bring to the table? Okay. So when we decide to bring in a behavioral analysis profiler, it's because we as the analysts feel like there's something else going on here. We've got a series. We need to identify an individual and we believe that that's a resource that our law enforcement partner needs to um, have fresh eyes. So if we've got an investigation that's gone cold on them and we need a new set of eyes, a new perspective, what type of individual are we looking for that would have committed this series of crimes? Then we involve them. If the investigating agency has made that plea right at the front and say, you know, we'd like a profile on this. We've looked at it. We've had multiple um, eyes on this case. We don't know what kind of individual we're looking at. So we want some type of um, feedback from the behavioral analysis folks to say, okay, here's what we're looking at as far as victimology. We're looking at where the body was um, dumped. Um, There's a lot of things that go into play when the profilers are looking at a case. The entire case file has to come to their office. And then we all sit down and take a look at everything from evidence that was collected, interviews that were done. And then we start talking about where do we go from here? So that bringing in our behavioral analysis profilers is something that can be done from either the analyst side or from the law enforcement agency's side. Got it. Now, you used a word that I think many of us who've served in law enforcement take for granted, but our listeners may not be entirely familiar with, which is the word victimology. Tell us, tell us what that means and what its value is to, to solving crimes. 
So the victimology uh, on a case is about the individual themselves, the victim. We want to know what was the lifestyle? What were the characteristics of this individual? Did they go to the library all the time? Did they have internet chats? And what chats were they involved in? What type of groups were they involved in? Were they drug users? Were they into prostitution? And if they were uh, involved in prostitution, was it to get from point A to point B, from one truck stop to another truck stop, or was it for drugs? So that's what we're talking about as far as victimology. We will also look at when you've got a series, we want to look at the commonalities. You've got five victims who all appear to be linked together based on DNA and no offender that has been identified. So we want to look at the day of the week, the time of the the day that they were disposed of, were they disposed of in water? Were they all redheads? Were they all a particular age range? So when you're talking about that victimology, it's about the victim. Let's talk about where they go, what they do, what they look like, um, the people they surround themselves with. That's what we're looking at with victimology. Got it. Thank you. And and because the more you learn about the victim, the more you might learn about how the perpetrator came to be attracted to them, target them, come across them. Do I have that right? Yes, that is correct. Let's take a short break and return for more of Long Haul Hunting the Highway Serial Killers. Hey everybody, today's episode of The Bureau is brought to you by the wonderful people at BetterHelp. Life is very uncertain these days. There's a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. So if you're struggling with anything that's keeping you from enjoying a full, happy life, I want to highly recommend trying out BetterHelp. BetterHelp wants you to start living a better life today. BetterHelp is not a crisis line or self-help. It's professional licensed therapy done securely online. It's very convenient. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed therapist, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. As you know, I've had struggles with post-traumatic stress and anxiety, uh, and uh, the important thing is that you don't have to face it alone. And the best thing about BetterHelp is you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, and you get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, which is so very important to the process. So they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you want to. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So visit their website and read testimonials like this one by BetterHelp user BR, who says, Josh was sympathetic, kind, and knowledgeable. I lost my mom suddenly, and instead of opening the conversation with what problems I had, he asked about her and my family and my life before trying to help me. It was a breath of fresh air to have a counselor who wanted to hear me. I wasn't with Josh long because he gave me the tools I needed very quickly to help me get over my anxiety. I highly recommend him to anyone, and I will be using him again if I need him. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Bureau. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And you can join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for listeners of the Bureau. Get 10% off your first month just by going to BetterHelp.com slash Bureau. And we're back to continue our conversation with FBI crime analyst Christine DePoister. All right. I, I want to know a bit more about the commonalities that you are seeing among the offenders or suspected offenders of the highway serial killings. And I want to do it in a way that doesn't portray long-haul truckers as all being subjects of criminal investigation these people provide for their families. They, they spend careers sometimes in, in long haul trucking. 
what are you what are you seeing among the solved and even the unsolved cases that you can share with us in terms of what these folks might have in common? So unfortunately, the commonalities that we're looking at with this specific initiative, the Highway Serial Killings Initiative, are dealing with the long haul trucking industry. I mean, we're not saying that every long haul truck driver out there is a serial offender or even involved in criminal activity. I mean, I had family members who were involved in truck driving, but that they weren't involved in killing people or raping people. But what we're looking at specifically with this initiative, because we've got hundreds, thousands of cases in the VICAP National Crime Database that don't have a nexus to the highway, where you've got individuals who are involved in other professions. But with this one, the folks that we're looking at, unfortunately, are involved in the long haul trucking industry. What we have found is because they travel the highways they don't have that employer sitting there. So they've got some anonymity as to what they're doing, how long it takes them to get from point A to point B. But that's why this initiative was designed. Let's see who's traveling those highways. You know, we had Ted Bundy. We could say he traveled the highways, but he wasn't involved in the long haul trucking industry. And we didn't set up this initiative to focus on truck drivers. It just so happens that the suspects and the offenders, and I say suspects and offenders, they're a suspect until law enforcement has proven that they were responsible for that crime. So those individuals we see are tied to traveling the highway with a long haul truck. That makes sense. Let's talk about some of the solved cases and, and whether this initiative has resulted directly or indirectly in solving uh, some of these previously unsolved cases. Have you, can you point to uh, the initiative as supporting uh, a police department that ultimately was able to solve a case? Yes, our VICAP analysts have assisted law enforcement with hundreds of cases involved in this uh, Highway Serial Killings Initiative as recent as a couple of years ago. So in 2013, one of the successes that we had, the Wyoming Division of Criminal Investigations entered a sexual assault series um, that was going on in 2013. Two years later, in 2015, they submitted three more cases these cases were linked by DNA. Now, at that time in 2015, our analyst was requested to give analytical support to the Wyoming Division of Criminal Investigations to see if we could help them identify an individual who was responsible for this sexual assault series, or if we could find additional cases that may link back to this. Our analysts did a search of the VICAP National Crime Database and ended up finding another sexual assault that we believed was linked to those, provided that as a lead to Wyoming. That case happened to be out of Riverdale, Utah. So that's where this initiative and the VICAP National Database are an important tool for law enforcement to use when we're working on these violations. Submit them into a system and let that system work for you. We've got lots of eyes on there. So we submitted that lead to law enforcement and we said, this is why we believe that this case is related. We looked at the characteristics surrounding the crime out of Riverdale and offered it as a lead. 
Three months after we did, Riverdale was able to uh, link that case to the Wyoming series by DNA. Now, in 2019, Mark Burns was identified through genetic genealogy as the offender in that series. Our work did not stop at that point. What we then did with law enforcement was continue our analytical support by doing a full workup on Mark Burns, looking at a timeline to develop on him from the day he's born to the day he's incarcerated or the day he dies. We want to be able to put that individual in a certain spot any day of the week at a certain time and say, here's his MO, his modus operandi. This is what this individual would like to do. Here's the victimology we're looking at on the series and then provide additional leads. Those timelines have come into play when law enforcement go and interview these individuals and they're trying to identify additional leads on their investigation. It's a great success story. And it's a call to action for any police departments, officers, anyone affiliated with law enforcement that might be listening to us now. Yes, it is. It's, it's a very important program that we have. We specialize here at Quantico in these heinous crimes. I mean, the, these are some of the worst of the worst. And we've got some small agencies out there that have never seen what we see on a daily basis. We read these cases every single day throughout the day. So we're very familiar. All of our analysts in uh, VICAP are very familiar with our truck drivers. And something in a case will clue them into let me take a look at this individual over here and see, was he driving through that state during that time? Could he have been responsible for this? So let's take a look at his biographical summary that we put together. All of the law enforcement agencies that had contact with him, everything that we know he likes to do to those victims. Let's take a look at all of this and say, okay, this is a good potential lead. Now let's offer this out to law enforcement and have them take a look at it. If our listeners wanted to learn more about the Highway Serial Killing Initiative, is there a place um, in the FBI.gov website where they might go and, and learn something? I believe we do have some information out there on the FBI.gov uh, site. However, we do the networking by setting up these conferences. And people who are involved with us on from law enforcement can access the Law Enforcement Enterprise Portal, otherwise known as LEAP. And on there, that's where we share this information specifically on the timelines and the biographical summaries of these subjects. That information is in a secure portal for law enforcement because that's what we're dealing with when we're partnering on connecting crimes. So we don't want to put this information out there to the public as far as their timelines and I mentioned VICAP alerts that we submit out to some of the um, uh, organizations for the public. We also have law enforcement sensitive alerts that we post out on this um, Justice Connect community for law enforcement to go take a look at and review, especially if they're dealing with an investigation that they believe hey, you know what, we need to submit this into VICAP because this is bigger than us. This is not something that we've ever seen. And these are folks that are looking at this on a national level. So now let's have the local level and the state send it in and let's all talk about this. Got it. Great, great program. And I think many of our listeners are hearing about this initiative for the very first time. So, so thank you. 
Let's take a short break and return for more of Long Haul, Hunting the Highway Serial Killers. Hey everybody, it's AG, and I am happy and proud to announce we are launching our very own podcast network. It's called MSW Media, and it's going to feature the work of some incredibly talented and intelligent people, including Glenn Kirshner with Justice Matters, On Topic with Renato Mariotti, Prevail by Greg Oliar, Opening Arguments with Andrew Torres and Thomas Smith, The Bureau with Frank Fagluzzi. And that's just to name a few. Of course, there's The Daily Beans, Muller She Wrote, and our newest show, Clean Up on Aisle 45. Our network is woman-run and veteran-owned, and our mission is to curate news, politics, and justice and engage voters. I am so proud of this community and this group of content creators, so please check us out at mswmedia.com and listen wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back to continue our conversation with FBI crime analyst Christine DePoister. Let's move on to another important responsibility that's embodied in your database, and that involves missing and unknown individuals. Tell us about that, and then tell us about how your database, as it pertains to missing and unknown people, differs from what might be in what many folks know as NCIC. NCIC um, is is the database that is used, and believe it or not, most of our listeners may not understand that when they get pulled over by a police officer, perhaps for a traffic infraction, they are making a connection to the FBI in that very moment because the police officer is running their license plate or their driver's license information and that's all being coordinated through a massive database that's led by the FBI. So NCIC contains a whole lot of information on wanted people, missing people. How does NCIC differ from your VICAP national crime database? So the difference between the VICAP National Crime Database and the National Crime Information Center, or as you said, NCIC, is that The difference is the characteristics and the details of the information that's entered and the circumstances surrounding the abduction of an individual or the recovery of unidentified human remains. With the National Crime Information Center, when a police report is submitted on a missing person, that agency enters it into the National Crime Information Center. No matter the circumstances, no matter how long they've been missing, that report is entered into the National Crime Information Center. With VICAP, we're looking at foul play was suspected. The person that was abducted, low-risk lifestyle. There's no ransacking of the home. There's nothing that says that this person was a runaway or this person just decided to leave their family and not be heard of again. So with VICAP, when we're taking in missing persons information, we'll get a lot more details surrounding the circumstances. We talked about victimology. We want to look at the victimology of that individual. And then we're going to look at any interviews that were done, people who were connected that person. We'll get a lot more descriptions of what the person may have been wearing, any scars, marks, or tattoos. That then comes into play when we're looking at the unidentified remains. The unidentified remains that are entered into VICAP 
are also suspected with foul play involved that this wasn't a natural cause of death. Uh, there's something there telling the ME that this was a homicide. And so that case gets entered into the system. Now, when we're looking at both of these sets of um, cases that are coming in, when you've got a missing person and they've been missing for a while, we've got to presume that they may be deceased. We will do a proof of life just to try to determine whether this person may just want to be missing and not be found by their family. Once we've done a proof of life, we want to now start comparing that person against unidentified remains. So it's important for law enforcement when they submit those cases to us that they tell us everything. If there's breast implants, if there was a healed fracture, if there's some particular type of surgery, the hair color does come into play, but we know everyone can change their hair, hair color. Height, age range, all of that comes into play when we're looking at the recovery of remains, whether it's a mummified body, whether it's um, a fresh body that was remained and no one knows who this person is. It's an unidentified person. And now we've got to identify them. We're going to cross-reference that information against missing persons records. Now, we're doing that first in VICAP. We want to see on a national level what law enforcement has told us about missing persons and unidentified remains. We're then going to tap into the National Crime Information Center to see if there's an agency out there that isn't aware of VICAP and they have entered this information into that National Crime Information Center. We will also tap into other resources to look for potential leads. We want to identify an unidentified remains person. We want to locate a missing person. A lot of data points in this database. <laughs> um, you just rattled off so many data points. And, you know, the, the more it sounds like the more information you have, the more likely you are to draw connections. How do you how do you really get the message across to all the law enforcement agencies out there that they they really need to enter the data and they need to do it in an incredibly comprehensive way. What do we tell law enforcement when we are making a plea for them to enter their cases into the VICAP National Database? Why do you enter your information into CODIS? Because you want the system to work for you. Well, now, hold on. Tell us, tell us, you're, we're falling into the acronym trap. So let's explain CODIS to the folks. So that's where DNA is uploaded into um, for, there's a national, uh, there's a, excuse me, local level for DNA analysis. The labs determine, um, will do their analysis. I don't pretend to be a subject matter expert on these types of things, but it's evidence that was collected and DNA was entered into a local level, a state level, or a national level. And that DNA can then be matched against other DNA that's collected at different crime scenes, whether it be an unknown uh, profile of an individual who sexually assaulted an individual, or it's a unknown profile at a homicide crime scene. So that's the, the information that we're looking at there. We're talking about how the FBI works to persuade law enforcement agencies who have so many things to do and such precious few resources to take the time and effort to enter all of these data points on their victims, on their suspects, on the evidence scene of, of crimes. How do you persuade them to do that? 
So when we're talking to local law, law enforcement about entering their cases into our system, we explain to them that this is a free tool. It's another tool to put in their toolbox. Let the system work for you, especially on cold cases. We know that it could be time consuming, but if you're the investigator on a case, you should be able to fill out the information in, that we ask, the various questions that we ask in the VICAP National Database with ease. Now, when you inherit a cold case, we offer suggestions of how to put this information in. It's part of the training that we do with law enforcement agencies. We don't kind of toss them out there and say, we're not going to help you anymore after we train you. We're always here to answer questions for them, to provide assistance to them in any way possible. We have entered cases for agencies, especially the really small agencies that may only have five detectives working. When we're looking at the state level, they may have additional resources that we can try to tap into to assist the local agencies in putting these cases in. But we try to stress to them, you're the expert in your investigation. You know, without a doubt, if this individual has committed this crime again, because there's just something that an investigator has inside of them that says, you know what, this wasn't the first time. And if there, we don't do something, it could happen again. So we ask that law enforcement think about that, especially with the ones that are solved. They, they have a lot on their plate, and we know this. Everyone does. We're all under a tremendous amount of stress, shortages on personnel, funding. But we offer them the resources that are out there. There's that sexual assault kit initiative that will give them grants to start looking at their cold cases that are sitting up on the shelf of sexual assaults that need to be submitted and the DNA tested there. And then getting those cases entered into the BICAP National Database. It has become part of the criteria for receiving that grant through the Sexual Assault Kit Initiative. That money will help them stand up a cold case unit and bring on additional personnel that will get these cases entered. Yeah, it's compelling. It's a compelling case to to do the right thing and spend the, the time and effort because the the results are extremely rewarding. You gave us a success story on the Highway Serial Killing Initiative. How about in the area of missing persons or unidentified person cases? Give us an example of where everything seemed to click and, and solve a case. Well, we had an individual that went missing, and I believe the grandparents are, were the ones that were able to identify. We've done cases where we've done photo regression. I don't know if you know what that is, but that's where you take a photograph of an individual today, and then you do a regression to see what they would have looked like 10 years ago or 20 years ago when they actually went missing. Because we our features change over time. So we did a VICAP alert on an individual um, where we did that photo regression and we put it out to the public. And within a matter of hours, the family reached out to the law enforcement agency and said, I believe this, this is my relative. They ended up doing DNA testing and were able to determine that, that yes, that was their loved one. Mm, and bringing closure to a family that, that that really needed it. 
does the FBI have artists who specialize in photo regression? How does that work? There are organizations that we can refer agencies to on photo regressions. The University of North Texas has something available, and so does a couple of other organizations. So when we're looking at analyzing a case, we, the analysts in VICAP, look at all of the resources that we have in our toolbox. And then we start reaching out to those organizations to see what service they can provide to our partners. And then we put them in touch with each other and say, this is what we need done. Same thing with like isotope analysis. It, it costs to get some of this laboratory examinations done. So we will reach out to the source and say, I've got an agency who needs some assistance. Are you willing to talk to them? Some of the resources that we have access to will do services at no cost. It's a case-by-case thing, so we don't pretend to speak for them. We don't want to obligate them. So we reach out to those organizations and see if that's something that they're willing to consider, and then we put them in touch with our, our partners. You've really given us some insights into the giant toolkit that the FBI offers to law enforcement agencies. If they'll simply partner, tap into it, the the results are phenomenal. And I want to thank you, Christine, for not only joining us today, but for the work you do, for the work your colleagues do every day. And what's really neat about it is it's it's really part of the unsung less exposed areas of the Bureau that just quietly go about the job of protecting all of us every single day. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. We've listened to crime analyst Christine DePoister of the Behavioral Analysis Unit 4, um, part of the FBI's initiative to partner with local, county, state, tribal Uh, law enforcement agencies to solve the toughest of the toughest crimes. Thanks again, Christine, and stay safe. Thanks for listening to Episode 2 of The Bureau with Frank Figluzzi. Join us next time as we journey overseas for the FBI Abroad. The Bureau is written by Frank Fagluzzi and executive produced by Allison Gill with sound design and editing by Molly Hockey. The show is engineered by Matt Brousseau with podcast art design by Johanna Coxeter. Music for The Bureau is written and composed by Peter Rydberg. The Bureau is a proud member of MSW Media Network, a collection of independent creator-owned podcasts focused on news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. 
There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.